Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bougay, and as always, I'm here with Rachel Madel. What's going on, Rachel? I have a story to share with you, Chris. I can't wait to hear it. Okay. So I was working with a student, and he had a lot of, we'll call it resistance, to AAC. Um, this is a child who has uh, childhood apraxia of speech, and look very much a verbal communicator, but like very much no one understands. <laughs> very common with uh, apraxia of speech. So the student had been introduced to AAC before and didn't work. Put that in air quotes, didn't work. <laughs> I'm sure like everyone listening is like, oh, I've heard that story before when AAC doesn't work. Um, but it's worth noting whenever I'm doing an intake call, I'm like, okay, so we've already tried this. We've gone down this road and we weren't successful. You keep putting it in air quotes and people can't see it except me. <laughs> You're right. No one sees my air quotes, but I'm doing a lot of air quotes right right now, you guys, to say when it doesn't work. That's my air quotes. <laughs> so anyway. Could, because if you implement it right, it always works. <laughs> exactly. So, and that's where we know the biggest challenge with success and progress is the implementation, which we talked about a lot on this podcast. So anyway child comes in I'm like okay let's figure out if you know perhaps a new system makes sense um you know let's see how the current system is set up doing all these types of things we we land on a good system I do a team-based assessment get the whole team on board it's a whole thing and there's a lot of resistance with this child even allowing the device to be near him and I you know, it was just like model without expectation. It was like, it was like a triggering thing for him. As soon as it came out, he was like, no, like get that thing away. So he clearly had a negative association. It makes me wonder what had happened in the past with that thing, right? Because I agree. It can't possibly be like, I just have a negative association with it and I've never seen it before, right? It's got to be, there's been some sort of trauma related to it. Yes. And like some type of expectation, right? And so like I was trying to impress upon the team don't put in any expectations, just model without expectation. Hopefully, like, he'll come around, which this is not like an uncommon thing, right? I've had students who are resistant to um, AAC. And, you know, sometimes it takes longer than others. Sometimes it's like, you know, you have to find the most motivating thing to get them to buy in to this system. So, Again, this whole team's relying on me to help guide them to figure out, like, what do we do? Like, every time the iPad comes out, there's like a meltdown. I'm like, okay, I get it. Let's figure out what is the most motivating thing for the student. And it just so happens to be that at school, he doesn't like when his sweater is taken off. So, like, I guess he gets into school and they're like trying to take off his sweater. He's probably like sweating profusely for whatever reason, doesn't want a, his sweater to come off. And and I asked, I was like, what's the most motivating thing at school? And they were like, well, he really hates when his sweater is being taken off and he can't tell us to stop. I'm like, awesome. So we programmed a button, like a, actually a whole phrase that says, don't take my sweater off <laughs> on the AAC. And I got rid of all the other buttons, which is not something I normally do ever. Um, but for this student, I was like, okay, let's take everything away. I don't, because because it felt like we had this prime opportunity to get him to buy in with something that's super, super motivating. I felt like if I had other language on there or other vocab that we might risk someone being like, oh, you can also tell me that you're finished and you can also tell me. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, let's just get this buy in first and then we'll expand. So anyway, long story short, 
we, you know, implemented this, I was like, just pull it out and quickly say in the moment when he's like upset that his sweater's being taken off, show him how to say, don't take my sweater off and then stop. So everyone's like, okay. So they started doing this every day. And then, you know, almost uh, immediately, he can now go to his backpack, get his iPad, bring it out and tell people to not touch his sweater. So he's like totally bought in to his device. And now, you know, we're starting to expand his vocabulary. He has more tolerance to it. Um, And so I wanted to share this story because I feel like it's kind of a random thing, right? Like to say, don't take my sweater off. Like when would we ever think to target that type of phrase for a student? Um, When would we also think, oh, let's take everything off the device except for that single phrase. Um, But I think the moral of the story here is if we don't get kids bought into this system gives you power and this system can help you communicate in times where you don't have the words or you're not understood in a way that's really meaningful and impactful, then we can actually eventually build out. But if we kept trying to kind of do the same thing we were doing, which wasn't working, then we would have the same result. So I feel like this is a great example of how to, you know, really problem solve and troubleshoot with teams to figure out like, how can I actually get you know, kids interested and engaged with this system. And sometimes it takes, you know, it just does take patience. It just so happened for this kid, we found something highly, highly motivating. We made it super simple and he was like, I'm excited to say this. Um, It's it's not always that easy, but really when AAC, my air quotes again, Chris, when AAC is not working, you need to work with communication partners to figure out like, are we choosing things that are motivating? Have we given enough, you know, instruction around that word and enough exposure? You know, these are all questions that we need to start asking to figure out how can we make it work? So something I heard in that story is uh, that you started with um, that buy-in with the student. And the way you started with that buy-in was him actually um, being in command of his own existence. Like he got to say uh, to stop doing something and other people listening to him. So often what happens in environments is that kids just have to follow commands of adults all the time like and now in this scenario wait i'm in control i'm in charge and i'm and you're respecting my choice about the sweater um or whatever the other might be which hopefully is not just about a, a bridge to language but for the educators working with that student for the educators working with that student uh, a shift in just letting the student be the leader and following along with what the student wants what the student desires what the student is communicating is necessary Yeah. And I think it's an important reminder. um, You know, like you said, sometimes protesting is way more motivating than requesting. And also, if kids like the kind of power they have over adults by protesting, um, another really great pragmatic function is directing the actions of others. So telling other people what to do. Um, You can make a really fun game, like a Simon Says type of game out of that uh, for students who think it's super funny when they say jump and you jump and they say, you know, fly and you pretend to fly. Um, Things like that can and again, give students that feeling of like, oh, my words have power. Like they just made this adult do something. Um, and so I think that that's a really important to think about because often we're just kind of in this like, you know, oh, well, kids want these things, right? Like they're telling us, they're showing us, um, you know, the things that they want. And sometimes that's not the place to start for students. Um, in fact, it's saying what I don't want and what I want you to do instead. Now, hinting there at the uh, pragmatic functions, I feel like that's what our interview is today, right? Is all about pod? 
Yes. Excellent transition, Chris. I talked with Laura Taylor. Um, Laura and I were introduced a long time ago uh, through uh, Rachel Langley, um, who has also been on the podcast. And we uh, had decided a long time ago that we we're going to do an interview and it just like did not happen. And Laura introduced herself uh, up at ATIA um, and thank- thankfully and said like, oh, I'm Laura. And, you know, it was one of those moments where we had already connected a lot virtually, but we never met in, in real life. So anyway, Laura finally came on the podcast. She talks all about pod, which I'm super excited uh, for our listeners to hear about. We've had Karen Owens on uh, from We Speak Pod, but we haven't really you know, talked about pod that much. Um, and it's a really interesting system. The way that it's organized is through prag- pragmatic functions. So the kind of system organization is a little bit different. Um, so Laura and I talk all about her experience, not just uh, with pod, but also in a classroom where um, she kind of implemented pod across the board and the experience that she had with that. Um, so I'm super excited to share the interview. Before we dive into that interview, Chris, we have some new Patreon members that I want to shout out. Okay, so I'm trying to see. So we have John, Kate, Marina, Jennifer, Sadie, and Lara. Uh, We got a lot of new Patreon members, which I'm really excited about. We would love for you guys to sign up for our Patreon. It's patreon.com backslash talkingwithtech. Um, There you're going to find three years. Chris, have we been doing Patreon for three years? Yeah, it's crazy how long we've been doing the Patreon, but we have tons and tons of extra content. So if you're interested in learning more about AAC, uh, we share resources, we share behind the scenes interviews, we share all types of AAC resources over there. It also helps to support this podcast. We have an amazing team that we want to pay uh, for all of their amazing hard work. Um, So we would really appreciate it. We really appreciate all of you guys who have just signed up. Um, So thank you guys so much. Really, the support that you give us through Patreon helps support this podcast. Without it, we wouldn't be able to do it. Um, And we take all of that and we put it back into the podcast. So we just want to say an extra special thank you for you guys who are Patreon members. Um, We really appreciate your support. So without further ado, let's listen to Rachel's interview with Laura Taylor. Hey there, Talking With Tech listeners. I'm Mike Murata, one of the co-authors of Inclusive Learning 365, EdTech Strategies for Every Day of the Year, along with some other guy you probably hear on this podcast from time to time. We wanted to let you know about a really cool event that the Inclusive 365 team is doing thanks to our sponsors, Textile. The four authors are getting in a car together and hitting the road to ISTE 22 in New Orleans. Our trip's going to start in Boston with Karen at the Textile headquarters. She's going to drive by New Jersey to pick me up. Then we'll shoot over to Maryland to pick up Beth and then finally swing over to Chris's house in Virginia. From there, all four of us are going to put the pedal to the metal on our inclusive road to ISTE. You can follow our adventure as we share social media live streams and posts throughout the drive while we stop along the way to experience roadside attractions and discuss ways to facilitate an inclusive learning experience that supports all learners. But wouldn't you like to join the fun and maybe even win a prize? Then you need to participate in WISH, the wonderfully inclusive scavenger hunt. Kicking off the week before ISTE, we will publish a list of inclusive activities for you to complete. The more tasks you complete, the more points you receive. And since this is an inclusive scavenger hunt, we wanted to include everyone. First, we'll be giving prizes away for the most points, but we'll also draw random winners from all the participants. 
Also, you don't even have to attend ISTE to win. You can play along right from home. All the details can be found at our website, inclusive365.com, and follow us on all the social channels at the hashtag #inclusiveroadtoisti. See you on the highway. Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined today by Laura Taylor. Laura, I'm so excited to have you here. Oh, thanks, Rachel. I'm really excited to be here, too. Thanks for having me. Yes, this has been a long time in the making. I feel like, you know, a few years ago we were introduced and then the pandemic came and it was like a whole crazy thing. But I'm finally excited. I saw you at ATIA this year and it was like, okay, we need to make this happen. And here we are. And I'm excited for it. Yeah, me too. I, it was it was so nice to, one, be back in person at ATIA. And so, yeah, I wanted to make that connection with you because because, again, we'd been we'd been introduced by email and yeah, life happened. So here we are. That's exactly. Good. And I love that, too, because it's like so often we're connecting with people online, on email, on social media. And then it's like I, I want people to come up and be like, hi, like I'm this person. I'm like, thank goodness. Because, you know, I it's like the little the little icon you see on someone's email, like it's too small. Like I can't recognize exactly. that. In real life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> OK, Laura, so let's start off. Just tell you know our listeners a little bit about yourself and your experience. Okay, great. Yeah, Rachel, you know, I, I started teaching um, way back in the in the early 80s. So I've, I've been around the block a, a few times. And I, I started out um, like a lot of special ed teachers really kind of learning on the job. Um, I, I really, you know, it, you, you get baptized by fire when you come into a classroom, you really don't know what to expect. But um, I spent the first year of my teaching in a multiply impaired classroom. And, um, you know, it was really hard work. And I took a lot of data because, of course, my college professors had said, you know, data, data, data. Well, it didn't it didn't really mean much to me. I didn't really get it. And then um, the next year I went into early childhood special ed and I spent the next nine years in the early childhood special ed classroom. And I really loved that. Um, But then during that time, I also had my kids and I was doing preschool all day and preschool all night. So it got, it got to be a lot. And so um, I started exploring, um, actually my my supervisor came to me and asked me if I wanted to be part of this new team that was being created in the state of Michigan. And it was the assistive technology team. And um, so I said, sure. So, you know, I I became part of this uh, region one. We were in the state. We're divided into six, five regions, I guess. And um, so I got onto that region one assistive technology team and and really uh, things just blew me away because I, you know, was like, what is this stuff? So I learned a lot about assistive technology. um, And then I went from that to um, kind of an assistive technology support role at our school district. And so I did that um, for about 10 years. And my frustration grew because I couldn't get people to understand the importance of assistive technology and how that, that fit into students with special needs, how that helped them you know, to access the curriculum. So I did that for a while, but, and, and in that time, I'd learned so much from the work of Patty King Debon on adapted stories and, you know, all of these things that, that, that were working in literacy and early childhood. And I wanted to put that into practice. And so I went back into the classroom, the early childhood classroom, and I implemented a lot of um, the Patty King Debon books. You know, we we did a lot of um, team meetings every month. We 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 worked on vocabulary, building vocabulary for kids, 
And, you know, I did that for about seven years. And the last year that I was doing that, I realized that, um, you know, though, though our, everybody in our team was doing really good work, we weren't getting the outcomes for our kids that we wanted in terms of when they left our preschool classroom, right? They weren't communicating. I didn't know anything about AAC at the time, you know, I, they, but they left us and, and I just, there was something nagging at me. And so, um, so I, I went to um, work then um, in between that summer. So I, 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 that last year of my preschool classroom, I had heard about um, POT, Pragmatic Organization Dynamic Display. And I thought, you know, this sounds interesting. And so there's a, there's a whole backstory about how I learned initially about POD, but I didn't know what it was. And that I can save for another time because that's a long story. Mm-hmm. But, but what turned me on about that was then I went to the conference and, it, and the introductory conference at that time was five days. And so I went to that conference and the first day uh, I was blown away by, by what I heard in that conference and the videos that I saw in that training, it, it really blew me away. And I thought, you know what, for me, this was the missing piece that I'd been thinking about all along. Like, what is it that we're missing with our preschoolers when they're leaving our classrooms and not really doing any different communicatively? So um, I wanted to go back and I wanted to implement Todd like right away. And I, you know, I couldn't get a whole lot of traction because nobody really knew what it was. And so, you know, so I was, I was kind of frustrated, but I wanted to get this word out. Like I really so badly wanted to get the word out and I had an opportunity that fall to change jobs. And so I left my school district after 25 or 26 years, which was a leap of faith, honestly, for me. Um, I, I left that, that classroom and I went to work for the state of Michigan in a in a project as a special education project um uh, through is is called alt shift now but um it was under a different name then anyway i went to work for them and i talked to the director and i said this pod thing like this is really huge <laughs> and you know he said he said well i'm a trained speech pathologist and you know and he was like i i don't know about this and i said well i'm i really want to move forward with it and so i went to work with that i was hired as the technology integration specialist which was really it was it was interesting to me because what what i focused on at that piece was um, the accessibility of the educational environment right so getting into the building was was a big barrier, right? Um, I went to do a training at a school. I'll never forget this. I had my arms full of all these boxes. I went to do a training on accessibility. And of course, what do we use? We use the right the 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 switch to open the door. And I hit it with my arms full and the door didn't open. <laughs> and I had this aha like if I can't get in the building, how am I going to access the curriculum? Right. Totally. So, yeah. So I, you know, so I, I worked with the accessibility of the, you know, getting into the building and then the curriculum. And over that year, I realized that what was happening for our kids who were non-speaking was that they were in classrooms without the ability to answer questions or ask questions, right. Or really participate in the curriculum. Mm-hmm. So my focus started to really move towards though the technology integration was important more towards the student perspective of how they're accessing 
you know, their educations. And so that next summer I went to the advanced pod training and I came back to my boss and they said, I want to become a trainer because this is really big. And so he sent me to the training and um, then I was like, okay, now I want to become a trainer. And <laughs> so I went to the advanced training and then the next year I, you know, I started the, the, the work to become a trainer and all of this was, was all working with, um, you know, with, within the state of Michigan, we, we did some outreach trainings with, with local school districts on, on pod and communication in general, mm-hmm. on accessibility and all of those kind of just weaved into kind of one big thing, right? And, and so um, what ended up happening was I, I became that the, the pod trainer. And then at the same time, we, were, we brought in David Copenhaver and Karen Erickson to do their literacy work and um, started this Train the Trainer project in Michigan, which was really exciting. And so I sat through a couple of their, just portions of their workshops to kind of see how it fit into right everything we were doing and i thought oh my gosh right this is this is really big stuff too right there's so many big things right and so um i i you know fast forward about another about another year and i had an opportunity back at my local district um where where i was still living um to to teach in a new classroom they had taken um they had pulled the teachers and asked them to pull out students that kind of like, I don't know, were the most difficult students in their classroom. And so they, they held these interviews and I just, I, you know, I threw my hat in the ring and I went in for the interview and the interview committee said, you know, we got two classrooms, one that's a, like a high school classroom where students will be mainstreamed into the general ed setting, or we have this new classroom where we'll have four students with significant, you know, imp- impacts of autism and communication difficulties. Mm-hmm. If you we were to hire you, which one would you choose? And I said, that's a no-brainer. <laughs> I want the one with the four students. And and so I'm shockingly, I got the job. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I think probably everybody else. No one else said, wanted no. that job, Laura. No one else wanted that job. <laughs> <laughs> Just me. Right. So, you know, so I went into that classroom that fall. And what I what I really realized in that setting like this it was set up like a living room like right it looked very much like guys would come in and you know leisure there was a lot of leisure time and I thought you know we we can do leisure really well but it's that it's that curriculum piece right Mm -hmm. so I struggled Um, I'll be I'll be very honest with you the first three weeks of school the guys came in and we had you know, we put together a schedule that was like routine every single day. Mm-hmm. And every single day we had behaviors, right? The, the guys were, you know, running out of the room or, you know, jumping, you know, attacking us. And, you know, because it was so different from what they'd had, right? Yeah. Um, but I still didn't have like a, a real good feel about where I was going. And then that fall um, at Talking AAC, our conference um, uh, that Rachel and, and, and Robin Pegg and I had created, Rachel Langley and Robin Pegg and I had created, um, we brought in Karen Erickson and I sat through her pre-conference workshop on literacy and I thought, I can do this, right? I, I can do this. And I wanted to take all that literacy that I was, you know, all of that, all of that knowledge about that literacy and all the past practice I'd had with the early childhood and 
and the communication piece, right? So my staff and I were wearing pod books and trying to, you know, do aided language input and, and I wanted to do that. And, and I wanted to add math into that, right? So I contacted my former coworker, right? And I said, help me with this, right? What do we do for math, right? So she kind of helped me with some, some ideas and some thoughts. And I came back and over the weekend, I revamped our classroom again. So by like the 1st of October, beginning of October, everything, our whole morning, two and a half hours was, was emergent and conventional literacy, two and a half hours. And then the two and a half hours in the afternoon were all about math. And what we saw with our students was just amazing over that time. I mean, it was, it was truly amazing. They stopped fleeing the classroom. Um, you know, the behaviors did not go away, but they were significantly decreased. Um, their communicative attempts were just, just growing and growing and growing. It was really exciting to see that, that happen for those guys. Um, you know, so, so, so then I knew, right, all of this stuff that I'd been learning about works, works. Yeah, which is like, you know, we kind of go to these conferences and sit in sessions and see things on social media. We have all these different exposures to all these different things, right? And it's like, right. you know, I'm always like a, a sponge. I'm trying to get as much information as possible. I'm open to new perspectives, new ideas. But then it's like the true test as a, you know, educator is does this actually work? Like, can I actually exactly. implement this? And sometimes we have the best of ideas with these approaches and all these things, but they're not realistic. They can't be implemented, right. you know? And so I can totally resonate with this idea of like, I need to see this for myself, like take all the yep. things that I've learned, put it into practice. And then like, what happens, you know, yep. it sounds like that's exactly yeah. what you did. It is, you know, and, and what we saw, you know, really was, um, you know, it, it was, I had two assistants in the classroom over the, you know, that, that I started off with one and, and then we had some really, really awful, awful days. And so they put another assistant in the classroom. It was really interesting because they had all had one-on-one -on -one assistants, right. Mm -hmm. Before they came to our classroom. And then it was like four on two, right? This can't yeah. work. Right. And so, you know, it, it really took a leap of faith and that's what I asked the assistants to do. I said, you know, please, please come along with me. Right. Cause I know this is, this is not, you know, this is not proven, right? This, you know, these, these strategies work. Sure. Absolutely. Those, those are proven, but with this population and, and we have to prove that it works. Right. So, you know, we took hundreds of hours of video just of, you know, of our practices and we reviewed those frequently, like, you know, at least once a week to, to look at it and say, what would I do differently here? What would I write? And so, you know, just, just the ability to kind of the, to have that freedom to do that in that classroom was really exciting, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> so Laura, for listeners who don't know what pot is, cause I feel like mm -hmm. it's a system that people maybe have heard, but they don't have a lot of familiarity with. Can you just explain, right. you know, what kind of AAC we're talking about when we're talking about pod and kind of the, the background understanding of why it's organized in the way it is and like really get specific about what it looks like. Sure, sure. So, you know, so, so POD was developed really for, um, in, in the very beginning, uh, Gail Porter and her colleagues at, at the Cerebral Palsy Education Center um, in, in Melbourne developed POD for, for students with cerebral palsy. And because what they realized with, 
with that population was they weren't being given the same opportunities to to learn a language as their peers. And so Gail started creating books for students kind of based on where their language were, which is if you're familiar with POD at all, um, there, there are levels of books that start with early language, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's it kind of in a, in a big nutshell, it's a language learning system. Right. So so when we when we think about children learning language, typically, right, we speak to them in a variety of communicative functions. We, we ask questions of babies, not expecting a response. Right. We, we exclaim. We, you know, we we you know, we talk about feelings. We you know, we do all of those things with babies without a response. And that's kind of the thought around pod is that when we're first introducing pod as a language to a student, we have to introduce how this language works. So in those early books, those one page opening pod books, those are the way for us to teach those communicative functions like asking questions, like um, you know, describing things, like um, giving an opinion, I like it or I don't like it, um, you know, telling somebody that something hurts, telling a joke, right? Telling a story, all of those things that, that, we, that we naturally do with kids who are speaking we use aided language input with this pod book, which is just made out of, you know, initially out of board maker symbols. Um, and, and aided language is just touching the symbol as we say it. So, so we model for the child how this language works by using the book to talk to the child about the things that one that we're doing, but more importantly, showing the child what the child can say if they were the one talking. So we don't use it to tell kids what to do. We don't use it to, you know, to tell kids how to say things. Really, I mean, we we model how language works, but we're not putting words in their mouths. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it starts with learning that language. And as the child starts to put, you know, more and more words together, we need to be kind of one step ahead. So if if they're putting two or three words together, we need to move ahead and put start putting three and four words together and making that language more complex. So um, so when we when we move kids forward it's it's organized initially pragmatically so it's organized by communication function and then over time we kind of gradually move to um the organization by category mm-hmm. so that you know so that we're talking about a category and and then we can build from there so in a two-page opening book where we're actually kind of growing the language helping the child to use you know word uh, uh, word endings um you know ed and ing endings plurals and all of those uh, sorts of word forms, we we use those books categorically. So we might start off with, um, you know, places. I will go, turn the page to the zoo, go back to days and times, Saturday, right? Mm-hmm. I'll go to the door or go to the zoo on Saturday, right? So we can use that to model longer and longer and longer sentences until we get to the adult form, which is Mm -hmm. where we are all at now. And that, you know, that takes about nine years or so in typically developing kids. So, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. So one question I have, um, because I feel like this is an area where people maybe have some familiarity with pod. Um, One thing, you know, from my understanding is that it is really good for kids who have really limited access issues. So the partner assistance 
that can happen through pod, um, you know, is really powerful. Um, so can you speak to that a little bit? Also, I know that there's now some pod systems on high tech speech generating devices. Love to know your thoughts on that. Um, yeah. so yeah, can you just talk a little bit about, you know, the kinds of populations that this kind of AAC would be good for? Um, and also, yeah, like I said, curious about the high tech option and what your thoughts are. Sure. Yeah, sure. So, you know, so, um, Pod does have a have a non-electronic and electronic form, so paper, basically a paper book or the electronic form, um, and and so when we think about um, you know who might use this, right? So the students in my classroom, um, you know, when I went back into the classroom, there were four young men, and they were 13, 14, 17, and twenty three. Three of them um, were non-speaking, and one was you know, used speech as his main mode of communication. However, he'd learned to make requests, right? So I want juice. And he would say that a lot, right? But he didn't have any idea that there were other things he could talk about, or he couldn't just draw on his, you know, his thoughts and ideas to put sentences together. So we actually, um, you know, with, with pod, with that population for, for the population of these guys with autism, um, you know, for, for him as a, as a, as a student who was verbal and mm -hmm. autistic, what that, what that book represented for him was all the things that he could say. So when he could see those categories, you know, I'd say, well, you know, it, it looks like something's going on, you know, or we'd say, you know, you're looking at the book. I wonder if you get, you're thinking about something and he'd say, um, he might say activities, you know, and so we'd go to activities and he'd say, you know, I want to play music. It was like, okay, you know, so, so it gave him a way to do that rather than in the, in previous time he would grab onto us and yeah, we've all got scars because that's how he communicated. I want your attention. Right. So for somebody with autism, whose, whose visual channel seems to be very, very powerful, right. For those guys, it organized, it helped to organize language for them. Um, so they're, you know, for, for, for most of the population, they're going to use a direct access book. They're going to touch the symbols and be able to get their message across. Mm -hmm. For two of our students in that classroom, we started with pod books and we actually went to electronic versions very quickly because um, the power of that for them was when they, when they activated their, their on-screen system, right? We, they were on an iPad. When they activated that, their message was heard immediately. And so they knew that somebody was hearing their message right away. They could touch the books, but if we weren't looking at them, we didn't know, mm -hmm. right? We didn't know that they had something to say. So, um, so for them to go from the paper to the electronic very quickly was, was what they needed. So those kids are all going to be using, um, young men and young women and, and children are all going to be using direct access. But then there's that small population, right, who who isn't going to be able to, through no matter what we do, um, not going to be able to access um, the, the system directly, right? Mm -hmm. so, so we have to provide them with a way to still have access to this robust vocabulary, including all these language functions, without touching the book, mm -hmm. right? And that's what one of the things you're talking about is partner-assisted scanning. So, um, you know, so we might take that, that vocabulary and, 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 and model that for them too, right? So, so we're going to model, for example, um, I got to, I got to think of the, the first page, yeah. right? So if we modeled, you know, um, I, uh, I, 
I, I don't, uh, that, no, let's see, I've got to think about the first page. So the first page on an adapted, like a partner assisted scanning book is turn the page, more to say, uh, more to say turn the page or, and I can't remember the third symbol on that. I'm trying to visually remember it. So, but, but we're going to model that for them, right? So if, if what I have to say is that I want to be finished, I think that's in the second column. So I'm going to say, you know, this column while I'm showing the symbols, um, yes or no. And for me, it would be no, shaking my head side to side, no. This column, yes. Head going down and coming back up, yes. I'm saying yes. This one, so I'm going to indicate the, the, the symbols separately. And when I get to finished, I'm going to say this one, yes, finished. And then I'm going to go over because there's a side panel to that, right? And the side panel allows us to not cut a kid off before they're ready to be done saying what they're saying, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say, oops, was that a mistake? Another word on this page, um, you know, it, un until I get to the symbol that says that's all I have to say about that, mm -hmm. right? So I'm going to model that exact thing just like I would model with the direct select but I'm going to model that partner assisted scanning so that the child knows that there's so many things that they can say still, but it's going to pick a partner. Um, and, you know, for, for those kinds of kids whose, whose bodies don't cooperate, right. They've, they've got some significant things going on with their bodies. They may never be able to access that independently. And that's okay because, they're going to need help in, in all ways, you know, right. Just to, just to position their body. And so they're, they're obviously going to need help to be able to access their communication system. Our goal with teaching like a, a partner assisted scanning system is that ultimately we might get to a high tech system where they're using switches to scan, mm -hmm. right? So they can scan that system and then still say as independently as they can, what they want to say. Um, does that answer your question? It, it does. Thank you. That was beautifully said and kind of articulated. I think it's important to kind of understand first kind of the way it's organized, um, which I'm going to kind of circle back to that in just a second. Um, mm -hmm. But I also think that, like you said, there's kind of a subset of population of uh, students who, you know, they really rely on a partner for communication and that's okay. And I feel like right. God is so beautifully organized and supported in that way um, that that's uh, one of my kind of favorites for kids who have just such severe access issues. Um, ultimately, my goal is always to try to get independent, autonomous communication, right? Um, sometimes right. We can get autonomous, but we can't always get independent. Um, right. and so, and that's okay, you know, but right. I think that pod, um, and it's exciting that there is an, you know, electronic version. Um, so it's like a familiar system, right? We've spent all right. this time and years, you know, modeling and giving aided language input. Um, if we can transition to that electronic system and it sounds like two of the students in your classroom were able to do that pretty quickly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was really exciting to see that happen for them. And then um, I was only in that classroom for a year. And then the next year, one of my assistants, both of my assistants stayed in that classroom and they continued to daily. One assistant in particular continued daily to say, you know, look, this is look, look at what he's saying now. Right. And it was so exciting to to you know, to, to kind of see them continue to progress um, even after, you know, that even after I wasn't there to keep it kind of going, the next teacher who came in was able to do that for another year. And so it was really exciting to see them, you know, kind of, kind of move forward, you know, and get their point across. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and um, yeah. So one thing that you kind of spoke to was 
you know, you have this classroom for autistic students in that classroom with very severe communication challenges. Um, one thing I, I love to think about is, you know, typically what happens is that we're focusing primarily on requesting, like your one student who was like, I can say I want juice and that's all, that's what I've learned. And that's what I'm going to stick to. And yeah. I feel like autistic students in particular don't naturally start understanding that there are different functions for language. They don't realize right. that they can just tell us a story or tell us a joke or ask a question. It has to be explicitly exactly. taught. And I think what right. happens is that we're not doing the explicit teaching. We're just like mm -hmm. having kids, you know, use basic communication for their basic wants and needs. And then they get to be older students and they have more independence in getting those needs met. And then it's like, they're not communicating. Now what? Everyone's, <laughs> everyone's surprised <laughs> as to why. And it's like, we've never taught them how to. Well, and you know, that's it, Rachel, you know, when I, when I, when I had their IEP meetings, right, the, 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 the very first ones I had with their parents in the, in the fall, um, you know, their, their goals had been to wash windows and to, and it, you know, this always cracks me up and I think about it because every time I'm washing my own windows, I go back to this goal that this child will, will wash windows with 100% accuracy. I'm appalled. <laughs> I'm appalled by this goal. I'm so triggered right well, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I look at my windows when I'm done and I think, did I do that with 100% accuracy? <laughs> and who does? Right? Oh, Nobody man. Does, right? <laughs> So, so those, like, those are the kinds of goals, right? We'll, we'll wash windows. We'll take out the trash, you know, and, and that is not, unfortunately, that's not unusual, mm -hmm. right? And so when I sat down with these families, I said, you know, this, this is all well and good, but we need to teach our, our, our guys to read, right? Because in order for them to be able to be successful and as independent as they can be in the job, one, they need to be able to communicate. Mm -hmm. And two, they need to be able to read. And so I, I, I dumped all the other goals, brushing teeth goals, shaving goals. Like, no, that's, that's not, that's not what I'm here for. No. And I, you know, so my goals became, you know, literacy goals and communication goals. And it, and it focused on expanding the, you know, the, their, their functions of communication. So having that as a baseline, right. What we did in our classroom was, um, Every Monday, right, on my big whiteboard, I would have our learning targets for the week, right? It wasn't a learning target for the day. It was a learning target for the week. And so what we would do is, you know, say for this for this week, or, and if we weren't kind of making any progress, maybe we'd make it two weeks. What we're going to focus on is um, like and don't like, or I have an opinion, right? So within all of our literacy activities and within all of our math activities, we embedded right? Op opinions, giving opinions, modeling for the kids how to give opinions. And so that's how we, that's how we explicitly taught those communication functions was within our literacy. So we made books from Tar Heel Reader, um, you know, and, and based on all of those, those communication functions and, and went, went at it that way. So every day, all day, kids were embedded, um, you know, communication was embedded within the instruction. Um, so it was very explicit. Yeah. And that's yeah. how kids learn. And I also like to kind of remind our listeners that, you know, if we only do things that happen in real time, right? Like, oh, he's feeling sick today. Now we're going to like break out the AAC and start modeling about sickness, <laughs> right? It maybe right. happens once every four or five months. And so it's like, how exactly. do we take that and then think about like, okay, he was sick today. 
let's start teaching explicitly about when I feel sick or when that character in the book feels sick and start building out this knowledge because we know that our kids, they need repetitive practice, right? Um, exactly. They need repetition of these things to learn the language and meaningful opportunities. And so, yeah. you know, I feel like what happens is like, you know, and to no fault of, you know, teachers and paraprofessionals and SLPs, I realize that like classrooms are crazy and they're oftentimes just trying to put out fires, right? Yep, um, I'm sure yep. you, you know that all too well. Um, yep. So I get it. Um, but it just feels like we're just like doing the absolute like minimum sometimes with our students with complex needs. And then, like you said, we're creating goals about shaving and washing windows. Um, right. It could be teaching them how to connect with the world. And literacy, of course, is a huge piece of that. Exactly. Well, and I think that, you know, when I, when I think about that, I, you're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, and as a, um, I, I did spend some time, you know, in my career as a, as a teacher consultant. And so I was in and out of buildings and I would walk past special ed rooms. Right. And, and a lot of what I, you know, I'd stop outside and I'd listen. <laughs> I just, I just stop and I'd listen. And about 90% of what I was hearing was questions, 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 questions. And kids had one, no way to respond, right? So, cause yep. they didn't have communication systems. But then I thought, well, when do you teach that part? <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> you know, what color is it? What color is it? What color, what shape is it? It's like, when are we teaching about colors and shapes? And, and that's something we should be doing, you know, yes, starting in early childhood, but giving kids, you know, the, I, I can't, I can't stress enough, you know, uh, how, giving kids access to, especially kids with complex bodies, especially kids with complex bodies, um, you know, access to communication from the get-go, right, from birth, right, and, and I think, you know, um, I, I heard a, a long, long, long time ago, I, I was doing a presentation with, a, with a, two OTs, and one of the OTs was talking about how much how few, how much fewer, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, <laughs> but like the, 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 the less amount that, of books that children with physical disabilities had read to them was significant, the, the amount of books that kids with physical disabilities had read to them was significantly reduced than kids who were ambulatory, right? Because parents would choose a different book right? Because, because they got sick of reading the same book over and over to the child. So the parent would choose a different book each time they read to their child with physical disabilities. Mm -hmm. Whereas kids who can amble over and get the book that they love the most, you know, you talked about that repetition. They, they heard those stories repeated so many times, right? But our kids with physical disabilities don't have that luxury. And so they don't get the experience of having that repeated exposure, which we know now is absolutely critical to their learning, right? And so, you know, that, that repeated exposure of text in our classroom, of, you know, the literacy piece with the alpha, you know, learning the alphabet, the alphabetic knowledge, all of that stuff that was repeated every single day, you know, five days a week for, you know, for that school year you know, really does hit home that, that importance of that. And, and, and you're absolutely right. Those kids with autism need that repeated exposure over and over and over, over and over. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy that we kind of touched on that. Cause I feel like it's, you know, I feel like sometimes we have this idea that 
you know, oh, we're just going to model everything in real time. And that is absolutely necessary and important. That is aided language input, yep. right? But we also right. have to be strategic and think like, how can I also have a plan for a specific core word or whatever it is that I'm teaching, right? And yep. then, you know, create opportunities in a classroom and at home to actually practice those things, to have those opportunities. Sometimes we have to like kind of think outside the box and think, okay, so this came up. So now how, how can I take that and really use that as, you know, a launching off point to figure out how I can construct opportunities in, you know, the classroom or at home to practice these things. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's, you know, so, you know, not only did we use pod in our classroom, we used the core, you know, I had six core boards around the room. So there was never an opportunity that kids didn't have, you know, couldn't reach out their hands and have access to communication, right, wherever they were. And so we, we would also go through not only the communicative functions as a, you know, as a, as a target, learning target, but we had core words of the week. Right. So so we would go through and we would pick out five core words a week and we would build, again, our literacy, our, our, our you know, our, uh, our, our emergent literacy strategies and our conventional literacy strategies around those core words and where you can find them in your system. And, you know, all of that just kind of, you know, it just kind of tied in and, and, mm -hmm. and really had a huge impact. So, yeah, it's exciting to see that happen. I have a question for you, Laura, because I know a mm -hmm. lot of our listeners out there like this sounds amazing, like, you know, two and a half hours of literacy instruction in the morning and two and a mm -hmm. half hours of math instruction, like this very systematic, cohesive, comprehensive approach that you were able to kind of implement you know, in yep. your classroom, um, for an SLP or a parent maybe who's listening and thinking like, I really want to do this, but like, how do I get started? Like, how do we do this? Um, right. you know, I feel like oftentimes the challenge is we, you know, as educators, we, we learn about what is best practice, what should I be doing? But then the actual like doing is where we get mm -hmm. stuck. Um, so do you have right. any recommendations or ideas for, you know, our listeners who are like, this sounds amazing. Like I want to do this for my students. Like, how can they get right. started? Well, you know, to, to be honest, one of the, you know, like I said, I, I saw Karen on Thursday or Wednesday or Thursday and went to that conference and I came back to my classroom over the weekend and I spent the weekend printing out laminating cards and, you know, moving the, you know, really structuring the classroom to meet those needs. And, you know, if, if, if I were to go through my day, you know, just real briefly with you, like we came in and we, we had breakfast and movement. Right. Because we know that that one, they've been on the bus for over an hour and they need to move. So movement stimulates, you know, brain activity. Right. So we would have breakfast and then we would go outside for 10 or 15 minutes where the guys would swing and spin and walk. Right. Get all of that done. And then every single day, our routine was exactly the same. It didn't change. Mm -hmm. Right. So we would come in and we would do morning circle where we we didn't call it morning circle, but that's what it was. Our first group of the day. We would do alphabetic knowledge. So we started with the letter of the day. Um, you know, it was letter of the day, generate words with the letters in it, right? Circle, each of the kids got up and, and moved. I should say kids, young men got up and, and moved and, and circled the letters, right? So, so we would do that activity. Then we'd get up and change groups. So we'd move from, from one space to another in the room um, where we would do our shared reading activity. Um, we worked with IXL, which is a, it's an online learning program. So we had IXL and well, we used Starfall to help kind of reinforce the letters, right? So so we used some of that, you know, 
those kinds of supports in our instruction. And then we went from there to our small groups. So we were, you know, it was maybe 20 minutes at a group. And, and then our, our longest group was, was that individual or small group instruction. So with only four students, and I know people are going to go, yeah, it's easy to do that with four students. I get it. (laughs) I totally get it. But, but I will tell you that, you know, people will, people also have said to me, well, you know, you don't know my population. Yeah, I do. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yep, I do. Right. And so, you know, we would do our we would do our small group instruction. And during those times where, you know, where we had our small group, we had one group with two students because they were kind of at a similar level, one group who had individual instruction and one guy. So two guys who had individual instruction because they were at very different levels than the other two. But during that time, we would also move, right? So in that in that time where we were doing in more individual or small group instruction, we had things on the wall for them to do, right? Mm-hmm. So they were finding le- the letter of the day in sentences that I did on, you know, that I would write on sentence strips on the wall and change every day. Um, so, you know, so, so it was constantly being aware of the movement needs of our students mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and knowing that, you know, um, you know and, and here's what I will say for two of our students um, in particular, the youngest, one of the youngest and, and the oldest, um, the, the ability to sit and learn, right. To be, to be in a, in an area um, <laughs> was a struggle for the two of them, right. The, the two middle guys were happy to sit right there and do whatever we wanted them to do. So they, they worked forever for, for a long time, but the, for the, for one of our younger guys, um, we had to break his his work into into ta- groups of three. So you do these things, and you can take a two minute break. You do these three things, you take a two minute break. Mm-hmm. What ultimately got to the point where he was working up to like an hour and a half. Wow! Right? It was yeah. amazing, and 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 he didn't. You know, it's like we we get up and we do these still you know academic tasks, but we get up to do that and then come back. And so there was a lot of the awareness of of movement was not lost on us. Um, Mm -hmm. So we used that to our benefit. Um, You know, so that was our morning, right? Mm -hmm. And then before we'd have lunch, we'd go for, we'd walk outside for about Mm -hmm. 15 minutes. We'd come back in, have our lunch, go back outside again, right? Mm -hmm. Walk again for about 10 minutes and then come back in and then do our math. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I think the, the, once the guys realized that the schedule wasn't going to change, yeah. Right. That there was safety in that. Right. Mm-hmm. They, they knew it wasn't going to be any different. Um, and once they realized that everything really calmed down in our room. So what I will say was it was scary to get going to really to kind of put into place. And, and there were a lot of there were a lot of days where it didn't go so smoothly, you know, mm-hmm. but that didn't derail us from going back to that routine. It's like, OK, we're, we're going to mm-hmm. keep going. You know, we're going to come back again tomorrow and do it all again. Um, and what I will say is just start, mm-hmm. right? Because you're not going to, you're not going to make any changes until you make a change, mm-hmm. right? Until you actually do that. And, you know, start small, you know, like just start small and like one thing that you can get consistent with, like can build to two things and three things and a whole day worth of things, you know, and that's not just academics or literacy, right? That's communication opportunities. It's so many things that we're trying to do. Um, And I think that it just like 
I think a lot of classroom staff and teachers and SLPs feel defeated, like, right. like nothing I do matters and it won't make a change, you know? And so it's just like getting highly strategic with yourself about what one thing can I do that will make an impact and right. being okay if that's the only thing I focus on right now um, until exactly. I get good at that thing. And then I can build off of that. Well, and you know, what helped us, Rachel, too, was taking the videos right? We took videos um, of our, one of the students, because we wanted to see kind of their progress over time, but two of ourselves, right? And so we would sit down, you know, on Monday mornings and we go, okay, you know, we'll pick out a video. We're going to watch this video and what could we do differently? Or, you know, and in that process, we switched groups every week, right? So we weren't, so there was not one person with one student for the mm -hmm. entire school year. We switched groups. And so we would say, well, what did you work on this week? How did it go? What would you recommend we do next? Right? Mm -hmm. So it wasn't, the beauty of that was, though I was responsible as the classroom teacher to report on the goals and objectives, the power of making those decisions was not just mine, mm -hmm. right? It was, it was in the hands of my assistants whom I trusted with everything, right? And, 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 and they in turn trusted me that I was not going to lead them down a path that was going to get us nowhere. And so those videos really helped us to, to, to look at what we were doing and critique ourselves and mm -hmm. say, you know, boy, did I blow that one? Or, <laughs> you know, or gosh, it, it give me some feedback as to how I could do that differently. And mm -hmm. so I think that um, for, for a lot of people, and you're right, if, if, all, if all you can manage is is starting off especially with literacy well communication one have your book on right yeah you know i i made i made books for each of the the gals and and i got i i, I made the books I, well I, I printed the books um i, I had them cut them out because <laughs> yeah. it's a lot of work but i had them cut them out and and then then i i got them scarves like we got everything i i made it easy for them to to have them on and and once that, you know, once, if you've got your communication system with you, you use it. If you don't have it with you, you won't use it. Right. Okay. So um, our biggest hurdle was just starting to wear them. Right. And, and, mm -hmm. and they wore them. And, and so if that's all you can do is make sure you have a communication system with you, no matter what it is, if you have it in your hands, you use it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes yeah. that's where I start with families is like, just exactly. remember at that specific routine to have the device. That's it. Exactly. You no, know, like you, yep. you don't even have to model just like, let's have it at the, the <laughs> dinner table or let's have it on the couch or wherever, you know, we decide together as a routine. Um, exactly. And I feel like that's really important because first we have to get into the habit of actually having the AAC system around. Right. And then we right. build into now let's do, let's model a word. Like what word should we model? Um, exactly. Which I know feels like sometimes, sometimes my, the families that I work with are very much like I can do more than that. And I'm like, let's build a strong yeah. foundation because I oftentimes <laughs> have very over eager communication partners who are like, and now what should I do? And I want to know all these things. I'm like, let's just get really good at having the device around and then we'll, you know, expand on. Um, and I exactly. think that, you know, guidance is really important. Right. Right. And it's that it's, you know, over it, when you want to do so much more, it, it can become so overwhelming because then you start to put that pressure on yourself. Oh, I didn't do it today. I didn't do it enough today. And then you abandon it. Totally. Right. And that's the last thing we want to have happen. So, you know, yeah, baby steps. It, it really is baby steps in, in everything for, for classroom teachers, for families. Right. It, it's baby steps to get started, but but get started. Right. Absolutely. Take a step.
Yeah. Laura, this has been amazing. I'm so happy you were able to come on and share your experience. I'm happy that we were able to talk a little bit about pod specifically um, and loved hearing kind of your intersection between pod and, you know, comprehensive literacy instruction um, and everything that you learned, uh, you know, in that classroom and, you know, Sounds like you had an amazing year that was full of struggle, sure but also full of triumph. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Oh, thank you, Rachel. It's just, it, it really is. I, I think about it every day. I think about, you know, um, I, I think mostly about where would those guys be now mm-hmm. if we'd have implemented this when they were preschoolers? Because I had one of them as a preschooler and I wow. thought if I had known this, <laughs> right, then where would they be now? Right. And so I, I, um, I think about that every day. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I want for them, I want for every child, the, the experience that, that they, that they were able to have. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm excited because I, we have a lot of uh, graduate students who listen to this podcast and young clinicians, CFYs, really eager to learn about AAC. And it's like an area where people feel very overwhelmed. Um, and so I hope they're all listening mm-hmm. out here and knowing kind of what, you know, it took years, it sounds like for you to kind of learn and develop over time. Um, and exactly. so that's why I'm so you know passionate about this podcast is because we can share this information with so many, you know, exactly. educators and parents and everyone, everyone else out there. Um, so thank you for coming on and sharing your experience. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. And, you know, if anybody wants to reach out, please, you know, I, I'm, I'm more than happy to, to, have a chat. <laughs> yeah, Laura, that's a great yeah. question. How can people reach out? Like, can they email you? What's your email? Yeah, they can email me, um, Taylor Ed Consultants. So kind of all one word, T-A-Y-L-O-R-E-D-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-A-N-T-S. We'll put it in the show notes. At gmail.com. We'll put it in the show notes. We'll put it in the show notes Perfect. people. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, so um, yeah, reach out to me that way. That's that's probably the easiest way um, to, to reach out, um, you know, or, you know, I'm, I'm active in AAC for the SLP, that, that Facebook group. I'm active in, um, you know, any of the pod Facebook groups, um, you know, if people want to message me that way, that's fine too. So yeah, I'm, I'm accessible. <laughs> Amazing. And I'll also give a plug for uh, ta- Talking AAC, the conference yes. that you guys coordinate. Amazing, amazing yep. conference. And I was so honored last year I was invited to speak. And I told you before we started recording, I was like, I am honored. I'm amongst legends that have been invited <laughs> to speak at this conference. So uh, definitely a yep. really great conference that you guys put on every year. Yeah, we're real excited. We're we're um, keeping our fingers crossed that we're going to be able to be back in person this year. So um, we're we're just very excited to get back on that horse and and keep our community together because I think you know being able to 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 be together um, really does help us to move forward and gives us the confidence that we have a, a tribe behind us that we can that we can turn to when we need help. So yeah, we're very excited about. Hashtag talking AAC. Love it. Love it. Thank you again, Laura, for coming on. Thank you, Rachel. For Talking With Tech, I'm Rachel Madel, joined by Laura Taylor. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week.